Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging objective truth. Here's the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton. Thank you, Suzanne. The topic of today's episode is biological males competing in women's sports. For some people, this topic may seem sensitive, so I encourage listeners to understand something about the conversation we're going to have. One core principle that this show will always be about is the fact that truth and love are never in conflict because God is truth and God is also love. Therefore, truth and love are one, and pursuing truth is always a good thing, even if it's unappreciated. That is my honor to welcome to Core Principles a woman who is extraordinarily qualified to speak to us about this topic of biological males competing in women's sports. She's a representative in the legislature of Idaho. She is the chairman of the Environmental Energy and Technology Committee, and she's a coach. In fact, she coached NCAA Division I women's basketball for 15 years. So I'm pleased to welcome Barbara Ehart to the program. How are you doing, Coach? I am doing great, and I appreciate you having me on. And and ironically, as as you uh, reference Coach, here in the halls, my my colleagues actually that's what they call me, Coach. And uh, you know, when I stand to speak on the floor, I have a little bit different style, and I I, I think they recognize that. Well, I've always. Uh, had an affinity for the coaches that were in my life, and they were great influences on me. And I know that when uh, we met in Texas for some of those sessions that David Barton had put on, I asked you what you prefer, uh, representative or coach, and you said coach. So that's the way it'll be. That's true. Yeah, that works. Well, I'm going to ask you today about potential legislative solutions to the issue of males encroaching in women's sports. But first... I want to get your help in bringing all of us to a common understanding of the issue itself. And so perhaps the simplest question I can use to do that is one that unfortunately has been used in an accusatory manner by some, but I'm going to ask it with common understanding and, of course, sincerity, and that's this. Why do you and why should we care about this issue? Well, for me, it's quite simple. When I was growing up, I was born in the 60s, kind of grew up in the 70s, and life was so different for me and what my future opportunities were going to be. People used to ask me what I wanted to be when I grew up, and they, our young women and, and younger women today don't understand that I had just a couple options. And in my mind's eye, I could be maybe from TV, like an airline stewardess, didn't want to do that. Um, you know, I, I could be a secretary, did not want to do that or, you know, teach school. And that was something I pursued. But when they'd say, you know, what do you want to be when you grow, grow up? I would tell them that I wanted to play sports. And I kid you not, I was literally told that's not what girls do. And so unbeknownst to me in 1972, as an eight-year-old kid, when Title IX was, was signed, it changed my life. And Title IX provided me an opportunity, not just with education, but the opportunity to compete, even in junior high, 
which a lot of people ha didn't have the opportunity to do, but to play sports in junior high, high school, and then to go on and receive basketball scholarship to play at Idaho State. And from there, I went on with a 15-year Division I women's basketball coaching career where I coached uh, at four fantastic institutions, UC Santa Barbara, BYU, Washington State, and then as a head coach at Cal State Fullerton. The whole reason, the whole impetus for Title IX was that if we didn't provide, didn't recognize that sex-based segregated sports was necessary for girls to compete, we wouldn't have the opportunity because we simply could not compete against our male counterparts. Everyone has known that. That's been known throughout time. And then all of a sudden, and it seems over these last five, six years in particular, the other side wants to change that to accommodate a few, but a few that are growing and, you know, whatever reason that they may have for wanting to adjust their own identity should have nothing to do with me because the bottom line is no matter what you do, you cannot change the fact that you are either XX or XY. And that Y coupled with testosterone, you know, taking some hormone therapy does not change who you inherently are. And when people get into the side argument, oh, it's all a matter of puberty. Did you go through puberty? No, it's not. It simply isn't. Between the collegiate uh, coaching I did, and then even now, I still run my own camps and clinics, even leagues. And I have leagues. I'll have kindergarten, first grade, second grade. It's not something everybody else says, but, but I do. I'll have leagues for these little guys, and we'll have an all-boys team of kindergartners kindergarten and an all-girls team sometimes not that often but an all-girls team of kindergarten or first grade little girls you know I've even put second grade all girls in with the kindergarten all boys because they simply can't compete the boys will just they it's in them they will steal the ball they're up and down the court they'll push the girls over they'll knock them down the girls start to cry they they they're not used to this you know go 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 by the boys this is not about puberty the inherent differences between girls and boys, men and women start at birth. You will not convince me otherwise. It's XX, XY, uh, having a surgery or taking some hormones will never change that fact. It's important for us to be able to have those opportunities to keep sex segregated sports in place. Yes, ma'am. And uh, we must have been thinking about the same approach to this because I had prepared to to make a statement about the sort of fundamental terminology we might use. And I thought that it would be good that all the listeners should be hearing the discussion with the same frame of reference. And the book of Genesis tells us an account of creation in which uh, Moses wrote down for us that God explicitly made two sexes, male and female, he created them. And I used to think that was flowery language, but God was like, one of these days, people are going to doubt that. So I'm going to have you write this down, Moses. But it is science. It is uh, objective, observable reality now with these chromosomes. And those are intrinsic and those are unalterable, no matter what cosmetic surgical alterations might be done. So I wanted to ask you, is the issue of males participating in female athletics primarily an ethical matter or practical that we should understand the practical sides? And if it is practical, then what are some harms or potential harms that we should guard against? It certainly, I believe that I've addressed at times in my testimonies in the many states in which I've testified uh, both. But from a practical standpoint, you're even starting to hear more and more, just even on the safety, you know, we'll take that issue for just a quick moment, that, uh, you know, with, with our bodies, <clears throat> that it actually is even a matter of danger. 
uh, in competing against males. And certainly we know that just over a year ago, the Rugby Association, uh, at least the, the foreign one, had actually made a decision that biological males could no longer compete because the danger and the harm, that uh, the, the injuries that were occurring to the women who were competing was so excessive that even the referees were pulling out saying they, they were no longer going to referee because they were danged if they do, danged if they don't. Uh, and they could no longer protect the women with some of the biological males who were competing in there. Their bodies, you know, you, you know they're just completely different. And so, so there's certainly a physical aspect that's a practical physical aspect. And I don't care, though, if it's a sport such as swimming that, uh, as we know, Leah Thomas is competing in. The practical fact of the matter is that even Katie Ledecky, who has set all sorts of NCAA records, cannot could, could not match up against uh, Leah. And so from a practical fairness standpoint, Title IX was put in place for a specific reason, and, and that was because all observable observations from the beginning of time said that there are there are differences, inherent differences between men and women. And rather than trying to say we're all the same, let's celebrate and let allow us, allow us to have our opportunity to play and compete, but let's celebrate the fantastic differences that you know the, the Lord created us different for a reason. And that is that's fantastic is to be celebrated and it is nice to be able to speak to it also from a religious standpoint because um you know when i do in the secular world that most people want to just discount that but oftentimes i will tell them that that these differences between men and women are something that should be celebrated as opposed to trying to make us compete all all together in the same place another example you were mentioning rugby i understand that the mixed martial arts had for a while biological males allowed to fight against females and it didn't take long before one of the males broke the eye socket of a female and then they said okay no more of this because bone density is a reality as well and there's a difference between the two sexes in that regard and on and on of course now i wonder where is the national organization for women they're about empowering women and i think of track stars like the gal in connecticut uh, and others they they train their entire junior high, middle school, high school to become a state champion and move on to bigger and better things. And then some guy who can't make the boys team decides he feels like a girl. He goes, competes with them and wins all the state titles. That is not, to me, empowering to women. Is the National Organization for Women ever going to say anything about this or have they and I missed it? Fortunately for us, we have other feminist organizations with whom we're working and they're helping us. But the Ironically, the National Organization for Women, the, now they, we actually have one here in Idaho, and I was just talking to some of them the other day. They like to converse with me. Um, you know, we, we, we have some conversations, but I have asked them specifically about that. And you guys are going to come out and support me on this legislation, right? You're, you're going to be there. And I uh, know uh, they, they just can't because, it, again, that silly notion that just because someone wants to declare that they are a woman, you know, as they like to say, because trans girls are girls and trans women are women. I, you know, it's, it's, it's sad, but we do have Wolf, the Women's Liberation Front organization who absolutely has been incredibly helpful, not just in this space, but whether it's in prison, but definitely advocating for sex segregated spaces because we are women. And then also uh, one of the new ones we have is Women's Declaration International Group and uh, formerly the the campaign for women's human human rights and they 
they're particularly strong overseas and, and getting a better foothold over here in speaking up and speaking out. So we do have organizations. It's just sad to see that we don't have more. And, you know, as, as I look at the LGBT community, some of the uh, women with whom I had worked while in the coaching field and who are a little bit older, they don't like this either. They don't, they do not want to see, they worked hard. They helped set that path forward even for me to be able to compete. And they don't want to see biological males taking those spots. But I do believe some of them are in that funky, unholy alliance position because they're part of the LGB and they they don't feel empowered enough to speak up against the T. But the L doesn't exactly agree with the T. And so our messaging is winning. I want our people to understand this is gaining traction. Nothing better could have happened than Leah Thomas. And I'm scheduled to fly to Atlanta in March, where I'll be joining with Beth Stelzer on Save Women's Sports and others. And it it crosses lines. It doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat. Parents want their daughters to have opportunities. I mean, I think back to Kobe Bryant when he'd say, I'm a girl dad. There are a heck of a lot of girl dads out there. And they want their daughters to have opportunities. And as I was asked yesterday, I can um, testified in Maryland. And a sincere question was asked uh, just about the whole situation. What do we do essentially about those who would identify those boys who would identify as girls and, and, you know, yada, yada. And, and, and I believe that any of us, we certainly have compassion, but, but, you know, then I turned that back around and where's the compassion and the concern for, for our girls. And that is why under my legislation and, and the other states who have adopted it uh, and what will survive the scrutiny of the equal protection is because when it's based on sex segregation, then the equal protection is it, we don't care. You can continue to identify however you want. It doesn't matter because you have to play in your sex-based sport. And if it were to change and we are to allow, well, let's let's allow biological boys to compete with girls if they haven't gone through puberty. Okay, then how is that going to work when we have a biological boy who went through at nine years old and then we're going to prevent one who went through at 10 just because I mean, we're going to let him play because they took uh, hormones, but they took hormones maybe a little bit too late. That's that won't even survive the equal protection. It's just goofy to think about these arguments. No, let's just keep it simple, sex-based. Yeah, subjective reality does exist. Well, Coach, so you are a lawyer maker, and uh, you started to mention some of these things. I wanted to ask you about the potential remedies in law, and a question I had for you is, do you think that those remedies are best to come at the local level, state level, or federal level? The remedies for something such as sports, it'd be impossible to come at the local level. Because when you're talking sports, you're talking about fairness. And that fairness within the high school athletic associations throughout the states, you have to be able to have policy you know, that is applicable to everyone. And it just makes sense that that would come from the state level. These are the guidelines, not guidelines. These are the policies and we're all competing under the same one. Now, when you uh, take that to the NCAA level, because the NCAA's policy actually currently with its, one of the few times I'll use the word transgender, the NCAA's transgender policy is as such that it's permissive, meaning that should a school decide to allow such and such to happen, then this is what you have to do. 
So because it's a permissive policy, I believe it's absolutely appropriate for states, as so many are doing, to set policy for their their state. And so what that means and what I said on our House floor in testifying and even what I've said when I've gone to testify in other states, that for Idaho, you know, we were forced to compete against June Eastwood, who competed for the University of Montana for three years as John Eastwood. And then John Eastwood decided John's senior year that John would be Jane, uh, June. And so June, in the process of competing cross country in the indoor track championships uh, before everything shut down in uh, you know March of 2020, in the indoor mile, June Eastwood, who had been John, annihilated our women, annihilated them. It, just as Leah Thomas is doing. But we didn't end up hearing nationally about June because everything shut down and June did not go to the nationals where no doubt June, like CeCe Telford, would have won and would have set records and and no doubt gained you know, national uh, notoriety there. But the point is for Idaho that under these laws, our Idaho athletes will be biological women. And though we may have to allow in the big sky for people like June Eastward to come to Idaho, it would still allow June to come to Idaho, still allow June to compete and still allow June to annihilate our women. But in Idaho, our scholarships will be for our, our girls and women. All right, Coach. Well, I'm thinking of another recent change in the NCAA level, which is called the name, image, and likeness. Yes. Now, that one started at state levels uh, but as soon as california said we're allowing this and then the pac-12 is like well we have to allow throughout all of our pac-12 schools and then the southeastern right. conference and the rest said we must do this or we will lose all our recruits yep. will that sort of domino effect happen if several states adopt legislation like yours well, I certainly believe so. And that was something I referenced even during uh, testimony and, and just in conversation because that name image likeness was ongoing and had, had essentially, as you say, in California had begun to set that policy. So uh, as, as we look at this and the states who have joined on, we're looking at Mississippi, Arkansas, West Virginia, Florida, you know, and then of course this year we've got South Dakota, uh, last year, you know, Montana, we're adjusting uh, to add the collegiate aspect to Alabama and Tennessee. So when you look at this, you are talking major, major conferences, SEC, ACC, just to begin with. Oh, yes. And then Texas did their K through 12. So th these kind, having these states participate, how is the NCAA going to punish, the, you know, Florida? Tell me. Uh, you know, it's not going to happen. And so right now we have the opportunity for all states to see, as I testify, one of the questions asked over and over and over is, what has happened to Idaho? Is the NCA punished Idaho? And the NCA has not punished Idaho. The NCA has not punished uh, Arkansas, nor anyone, because they, they have the softball championships. They're, they have not punished anyone. As a matter of fact, this year, the NCA had decided that what they would do, and you know, just at a higher level, is they're going to allow the various associations, such as swimming, to make the decisions, you know, or um, you know, well, basketball, whatever it may be, rugby, to make the decisions as far as what the governing policies would be in allowing biological males to compete. Personally, I think it was the wrong decision. They they need to quit talking about non-binary and transgender. And, uh, you know, I, I was there when I testified in Indiana this year and went, you know, I met uh, with the NCAA because uh, since they're located there in Indianapolis. And one of my points is we need to start talking. To, it's, for heaven's sakes, it's the 50th anniversary of Title IX. Let's start talking about our women. 
you know, the standard anymore on anything seems to be, oh, a, a biological male, a transgender, uh, you know, female and, and holding it up as this, that's not the standard. We're the standard. We are 50% of our population. Do not dismiss us. And that seems to be what's happening. And so that is why this fight is resonating and why I do believe uh, that more and more states will continue to come on because it's going to be the only way The parents are going to demand it. And even though, as I had brought this forward to Idaho, the ACLU made it very clear in our first hearing that they would be filing a lawsuit, which they did. And in my closing, I said, oh, there'll be lawsuits, all right. But let me tell you from where those lawsuits will be coming. They will be coming from the parents of the daughters whose opportunities and spots have either been taken or impeded by biological males. And so that is why I believe more and more states will continue to join on. Is, you know, last year we had, uh, I believe, 34 states bring this kind of legislation and to have essentially 10 states, you know, this year, South Dakota made it official by instead of Christy Nome, Governor Nome's um, executive order, you know, she actually had legislation. That was the first thing she signed this year. So we, we, in my opinion, we are in a good position. We are pushing this forward, moving this forward, and it's catching, it's catching steam. And to think that in being the first state to do it in 2020, as we were shutting down for COVID and people wondering at that time, some people questioning, what was I talking about and what were we doing? And now there, I, I have had, I was sharing with somebody today, a major lobbyist that I would be flying to, uh, Atlanta to testify against Leah Thomas and I'll tell you it was like the thumbs up you know right away this is what people want us to do because it's important and and the other reason it's important this idea that we're going to redefine families redefine you know sex and gender this is silly this is silly when we no longer have abs absolutes we have created chaos in our society it's not a place we want to be. And so we need these strong voices. We need people and appreciate people like you helping to bring it to light, allowing, you know, people like me to share, you know, and to let people know that there are a lot of us out there fighting. And so join with us. And many are. And what can we do? Can we make a difference? Absolutely. We can make a difference. Do not back down. Get others and gather in the fight. There's lots of fights and, and we can and will make a difference. And besides that, you know, it's always forward with faith right? Forward with faith. The Lord's still in charge. Amen to that. Well, I do appreciate and salute you, Coach, for being on the vanguard of that. And I saw an interview with you that was done there at a local station in Idaho asking you, like, what is this about? Nobody in Idaho has ever even brought this up. And uh, you said, it's coming. And you were right, of course. <laughs> and uh, so thank you for, for that. It only happens. Things don't just happen because we want them to. Things happen because people like you get involved and make them happen. So I, I appreciate that. And you sort of already answered uh, my last question, which was going to be whether our listeners who would want us to get in line with truth and stay with objective reality should be optimistic. And I can hear in your voice and in the, the facts that you're relaying that we should be optimistic about this, that things are going to go that the right way. Eventually, uh, truth will right. prevail. 100%, 100% agree, as, as frustrating as it is to see the damage being done by Leah Thomas on one hand, the opportunities and just enlightening people on the other. What a blessing Leah has been to us. Well, thank you so much, uh, Chairman Barbara Ehart, for sharing your time, your insights, your inspiration, your optimism, uh, and your good work there in the legislature. It's been an honor for me to talk with you today on Core Principles, and God bless you. And you too. Thank you so much. 
Core Principles Podcast is produced in Paducah, Kentucky by Real Productions. Music is by Late July, L-E-I-G-H-T July. You can find our music on all streaming services or at latejuly.com. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Core Principles Podcast. Please visit core.buzzsprout.com for more information and please share with your friends. We look forward to visiting with you again on our next episode.